Hello, and welcome to show number 2320 of Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. You know, I think it's really easy to forget that people with disabilities want a delightful, fast experience too, that, you know, all the browsers for a few years now have been focusing on how do we make this perform better for users? How do we make it snappy? How do we make the graphics faster and look smoother? And I, I want the same experience for people with disabilities. I don't want them to feel like, oh, I loaded this page and it, it took three seconds to load. Like, why should they have to wait that time if other users don't? And so I'm really trying to focus on that delightful experience for a person with a disability and, and the rest of my team very much as well. And today we'll be talking with today's guest about exactly how he and his team did that. We'll speak with Jamie Tay, Technical Lead for Accessibility at the Mozilla Foundation, which provides the Firefox web browser, about recent improvements to both the accessibility and responsiveness of Firefox for people using screen readers, as well as how that work is done. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip is some very good advice about getting started working with Firefox from Jamie Tay. The Firefox toolbar lets you access lots of controls in Firefox, um, including extensions or, or add-ons that you've installed. So you can access the toolbar by pressing Alt-D or Control-L to go to the address bar. And then uh, from there, you can tab and shift-tab between groups of buttons in the toolbar. They've been grouped to, so that you don't have to tab too many times. And once you're in a group, you can use the left and right arrow keys to move between buttons in that group. And you can press space to activate one of those buttons. Or if you know exactly which button you're hunting for, you can type the first few letters of that button name to just jump straight to that button, which makes it very convenient to get to things quickly. And there's also an article which explains how to use that toolbar in more detail with a keyboard, and I'll provide a link to that as well. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by Insight.org, N-S-I-T-E dot O-R-G, and Insight U, providing accessible on-demand and virtual instructor-led classes, programs, and workshops to support career skills training and professional development for individuals who are blind or have low vision or are veterans. Insight, a vision for talent. That was Jamie Tay playing a piece of his called Torch. So let's start by meeting Jamie and learning about some other useful accessibility tools he's contributed to. Well, today's guest has been with us before and has made many contributions to the development of a number of tools that many visually impaired people around the world use. But for people who don't know you, maybe you can tell us who you are, Jamie, and what you do. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Tay. I am currently the tech lead for accessibility at Mozilla, uh, but I previously worked on the MVDA screen reader for about 10 years. As one of the founders and also a developer. Yes, did, did all the things. <laughs> right. And 
For those of you who don't remember from last week's episode, we spoke with Mick Curran, one of the other original co-developers and founders of the non-visual desktop access free open source screen reader. And in addition to working on NVDA and starting that project and working at Mozilla on Firefox accessibility, you've also contributed to musicians who are blind around the world with your Osara program for making Reaper more accessible with screen readers. Yeah, and Osara is still something I, I try to put time into when I can. I have periods where I do more or, or less with it. I was also involved in starting a project called uh, ReControl, which um, interfaces with the complete control keyboards uh, and integrates them with Reaper. So I've had a fair bit of involvement with the Reaper and accessibility communities as well. You do keep quite busy. <laughs> Never a dull moment. And you're a user of all of these accessibility tools. Yes, I wouldn't say that I use like all the functions that, that you know people have requested or that I've added, but I certainly use all of the products to some degree or another. And for fun, you actually create some music too, don't you? Yeah, when I find the time, <laughs> I, I feel like I, I have, like everything else, I have fits and stuff. So I think last year I spent months working on a, on a piece and then I, I haven't touched the keyboard for, <laughs> for, oh, I think it was almost nine, ten months until I got a, got a chance to look at it. But I do enjoy playing music when I get the time to sit down with it. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is recent improvements to both the accessibility and the responsiveness of Firefox for those using screen readers, as well as how that work is done. Well, Jamie, before we talk about some of the new accessibility features in Firefox that you've been working on and tell people what's new there, I thought maybe we can give people an overview of Mozilla and what they do. Sure. So Mozilla is uh, most well known for the Firefox web browser. Uh, Mozilla's been around quite a while now, or you know, 20, 20 plus years, but uh, Firefox is one of the big web browsers out there. Um, Free, like most other web browsers are now, but was particularly in its in its earlier days really really well known for being on the I guess the cutting edge of accessibility and making sure that it was accessible to users of various assistive technologies, but also pushing the web forward in terms of what accessibility technology was available to authors that wanted to create really accessible experiences on the web. And the leading edge work that Mozilla has done in accessibility was one of the motivating factors for you switching over to working for them. How long have you been there now? I've been at Mozilla now uh, five and a half years. So I left MV Access in 2017 in, in September and uh, came to work for Mozilla. Uh, it was a very, very difficult decision, but I, I felt like felt like MVDA and MV Access were in very good hands and that it was time for me to explore something a little bit different, to look at things maybe from the from the other side of the fence and uh, just, yeah, try something a little new. Well, tell us a little bit about the work that's been going on to make Firefox more accessible and maybe some of the specific things you and your team have done to enable Firefox to be more accessible. So a big part of my job at, at Mozilla is working on the Firefox accessibility engine, which is the part of Firefox that takes information from the web 
or any user interface really, and exposes it to things like screen readers and speech recognition and magnifiers and, and those kinds of software. Uh, so there's you know there's a, there's a bit involved there. It's taking the the information both from the what's called the document object model, um, which is how the web page is exists within the browser, but then also taking information from the layout engine. So visually, where are things positioned on the screen and how is the text broken up into lines and words and, and things like that? Uh, so there's there's quite a bit there. And also not just supporting Windows, but also supporting other platforms like Mac OS and Linux and Android as well. So that's a big part of the work. Um, there's also other work across Mozilla, helping other teams to make sure that they're that the interface is accessible. So like all of the features within Firefox that, you know, toolbars and buttons and menus and dialogues, making sure that those are all accessible. And doing some of that work myself from time to time as well, when there's some feature that, that needs to be made accessible or, or could be better, or even just let's take this from a feature that's already accessible, but let's make it delightful. You know, when you talk about delighting the customer, it reminds us of our time at Xerox. And we talked with the same language when we talked about new features. They really had to delight the customer. It wasn't just that the feature worked, but that it was easy to use and people enjoyed using it. Yeah, it's it's a big thing for us because I think it's really easy to make, like I think a lot of accessibility lately, it's really great that accessibility has improved across the board in, you know, in Windows, in, in Apple, um, like iOS, Mac OS, that's fantastic. But I am noticing this trend to sort of like things that are accessible, but not necessarily like lovely to use. Like they don't bring about that sense of joy when you use them. It's like, oh, I have to tab eight times to find the search box in Explorer or something like that. Um, and I just feel like we could, we could do better. We should be making things that actually are really nice and efficient to use and don't just tick the box for accessibility. And so that's why I tend to like to differentiate between this is accessible versus this is delightfully accessible. There is a big difference. And we always try for the latter when we can. So give us a specific example of how some of this work has made Firefox more accessible. So a good example of that would be, you know, I worked on making the toolbars keyboard accessible in Firefox. And not only can you now move to the toolbar and, and move around it with your left and right arrow keys, but you can also type like the first few letters of a, of a button to jump straight to it, which makes the toolbars a lot faster to access. And that is kind of nifty. What did people used to do before that? Actually, I, I, I'm just realizing the example I gave wasn't a great one because before that, the toolbar wasn't actually accessible, which most of the features in Firefox are accessible via the menu bar, but there were certain features, particularly in extensions that weren't accessible except by the toolbar. And I'm just thinking back, uh, you, you actually couldn't use the toolbar at all before that point. Uh, so that was, I took the opportunity to take a feature that was inaccessible and take it not just to being usable, but, but actually making it a, a pretty delightful experience, I think. So that was a major advance then, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd just forgotten for a second that, uh, <laughs> that it actually wasn't accessible at all before that point. So what other examples would you like to draw attention to that, have improved in terms of accessibility with Firefox? Well, the most recent piece of work that I've been doing in, in Firefox, and it's been a huge project, and it's lasted a couple of years, and it's, it's been the entire accessibility engineering team, not just me, so I've, I've got a few colleagues as well. We've been working on a project that we call Cache the World, which is a major performance improvement to Firefox accessibility. So over the last little while, I think in, in 2017, um, Firefox 57 came out and it was, I'm sad to say, a pretty big step backwards in terms of speed for screen reader users in particular. 
And that was because we moved to what's called a multi-process architecture for security and performance reasons. Now web content lives in its own little process. That was a big step backwards for accessibility. We did manage to speed that up in subsequent versions, 58, 59, and so on. We, we managed to get some, some decent speed out of it. But the architecture that we created for that you know, wasn't, wasn't as solid as it, as it could have been, um, was, was maybe given less time than it needed. And the reality is that it's just not keeping up with the competition now. And so, um, you know, there have been some cases where Firefox has been noticeably slower than other browsers. So hopefully by the time you're listening to this, we will have rolled this new feature out to everyone. Um, and that should mean you should notice a pretty significant performance improvement um, when using a screen reader with Firefox, particularly on, on larger web pages or web pages that, that have lots of updates happening all the time. And what did you have to do differently to make these enhancements? So it's, um, it's some fairly complex stuff, but the short of it is that, so I mentioned that web content lives in different processes now. And so we take all of that content and we, we create a cache or you know, a big kind of dump of all of that information in the main Firefox process so that a screen reader can get access to it instantaneously without having to query all of those other processes. Because in operating systems, when you make queries across process boundaries, that's significantly slower than if the information was just there ready in, in the same process. What this also means is that if that web content process is off doing something, like let's just say there's a, you know, some script running on the page or it's loading a whole bunch of content, the accessibility clients, so screen readers and things like that, don't have to wait for that to finish before they can access information um, that's already been loaded. And so it makes those queries a lot faster. My understanding was that a lot of these browsers these days are using some common infrastructure like the Chromium tools and stuff. How does that impact the work you do in distinguishing Firefox from other browsers? So Firefox uh, is one of the remaining engines that does not use Chromium at all. So Chrome and Edge and uh, Brave, for example, are all based on Chromium. But Firefox uses, uh, the engine underneath is called Gecko, and it has, has remained separate from Chromium. That effectively is a huge differentiator. And it means that, obviously, it means we have to maintain our own browsing engine, which is a non-trivial undertaking. It's pretty massive. But on the other hand, it does mean that we can differentiate ourselves in ways that some other browsers can't. Uh, Safari and a WebKit, uh, WebKit is what Safari uses. They're the other remaining engine that is separate from Chromium. The other thing that must be tricky in supporting a browser like that is when all of the standards for HTML and the infrastructure under that JavaScript and all change, what people do on the web, they're hosting more applications directly in browsers. That must affect a lot of your work too and how you do it, right? Absolutely. When there are new standards that are released or when there are changes to the existing ones, uh, we have to, to keep up. Uh, and so you, know, you mentioned Chromium. On one hand, the other browsers benefit from that immediately. If, if Google or Microsoft contributes a change, it, it helps everyone. We have to do it all ourselves. And that can be, you know, it's a, it's a pro and a con. On, on one hand, that means that we can differentiate. You know, maybe we can implement something better than the others, or maybe we might implement some part of the standard first. Competition is a good thing in this sense because it means that the different browser engines can, I guess, push each other to do better and improved things continually. Does Firefox have its own built-in screen reader, or do you have to maintain compatibility with all of the major ones out there? 
Firefox doesn't have a screen reader, no. Um, we, we do have to maintain compatibility, but that happens through mostly standardized accessibility APIs or, or frameworks. Uh, so NVDA and JAWS, for example, both talk to Firefox using the same framework on Windows. And on Mac, uh, there's, there's VoiceOver, and it uses the Mac accessibility framework. But there are mostly documented frameworks for these things. I say mostly because it's not, it's not quite as straightforward as it could be. So if you were going to compare the various browsers, I assume you use Firefox, but you've probably benchmarked some of these other browsers. How would you compare them from a screen reader user's perspective? The web is pretty complicated and there are many different things you can do and many different edge cases. But I will say, I think on average, before we did this work, I think Firefox, in particularly on large pages or pages that had lots of updates, I think Firefox was um, notably slower in terms of performance than, than Chromium. Uh, since we've done this work, I think Firefox is now comparable, if not better, for some cases. It's really difficult to say, you know, to, just to give a, to an overall kind of, it's definitely better in all cases. I can tell you that I've definitely done some tests where Firefox is significantly better, but it wouldn't surprise me if there were still some cases where, where Chrome might have a performance edge, um, just because different browsers do things differently. The one thing I will say is that this new architecture gives us a lot of room to improve. So I feel like we're already comparable, if not better, but we still have a lot of room to optimize with this new architecture. Whereas with the previous architecture that, that we had before this project, uh, honestly, we were hitting, uh, like squeezing performance out was like getting blood out of a stone. It, it was, you know, the tiniest little performance boost would take a long time and, and cost us a lot in investment. Whereas we have a lot of room to grow with this new framework, new architecture. And what is your expectation for what are the next big hurdles to overcome with Firefox and any of these other browsers in terms of accessibility? For Firefox in particular, um, we, we have a, a few items that we need to catch up with in terms of implementing the latest specifications, but, but also things like, uh, so Microsoft are now starting to rely on their UI automation accessibility API a bit more uh, for a lot of their tools like Narrator and things like that. So I think Firefox needs to improve its support for UI automation a bit. In terms of across the entire industry, I think really the, the effort is just on making sure that the accessibility standards provide the ability for all of the new things that are happening on the web to be accessible. So as the web adds new controls and new paradigms for fully sighted users, uh, we also need to make sure that those things are accessible to anyone else, users that might be blind or that are using voice access, all of those things. So we have to make sure that we're, we're constantly staying you know, in step with those developments that are happening elsewhere on the web. As a user who relies on some of these accessibility tools yourself and who is in a position to fix them, do you have like a pet peeve or a biggest frustration that you'd like to see overcome personally? Honestly, I think um, the web, like any other application platform, has you know lots of lots of challenges. Uh, a lot of it is, you know, even when we do create good accessibility standards, it's making sure that people actually use them. I mean, that's in some ways the number one frustration, unfortunately, is when you, you know, a lot of the time when you see things that aren't accessible on the web, it's because the standards weren't followed, even if they existed. That's an interesting point. The uh, 
creators of web pages themselves have to put in these accessibility enhancements and make sure their sites are accessible and they're not making it cluttered with information, et cetera. Yeah, and that, that's a huge part of the challenge. Um, I will say that the web has struggled for a while now in that complex controls like trivia controls and autocompletes and, and things like that, there haven't been standards for them. And I guess that's made things tricky. And believe it or not, only recently did the web gain a standard dialogue. And so I, I do think that there is room for improvement on the, on the web standard side too, to, to standardize those things. And that, that work is happening now. And you know, our aim is to make sure that those things are accessible out of the box so that when web developers do start using them, they just get the accessibility for free. But of course, you know, it's up to, to authors to, to use those things once they're created. Uh, you know, we already do have some things like date pickers that honestly, everyone likes to roll their own date picker and 99% of them are inaccessible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. So, um, you know, date pickers are a surprisingly frustrating control um, on the web. You see so many of them that just don't work properly. And yet browsers actually do have one that they could just use. <laughs> so, yeah, look, I, I think there's work across the board. We can We can definitely do better to make things easier for authors. But by the same token, web authors need to do their part to to make sure that they're actually using the things that we do have available for them to make the web accessible. I guess we always need to keep educating people and make them aware of the different uses people will put the tools to and make sure everybody can have access to them. Yeah, and I think I think we've definitely seen some improvement in that space, but also as the world of technology gets bigger and as more people use it and as as more interesting different kinds of services come up we see more and more challenges in this space too and so it sometimes it feels like you take one step forward and two steps back and it's not necessarily that that's actually the case it's just that things get bigger and and move faster and so then it's just trying to keep up <laughs> so all of this talk about working efficiently with a screen reader reminds me of a conversation we had with you several years ago in which you mentioned that you listen to your screen reader at 700 words a minute <laughs> are you still doing that I think it's closer to 900 these days. That's impossible. <laughs> I've heard it, and it's just impossible. <laughs> well, I don't understand Pete's screen reader to begin with, but yours was just lightning fast. Yeah, and I do tend to shift. I, I want to be really clear. Like, I don't run at 900 words a minute constantly. I, I, I do tend to shift up and down quite a bit. I guess you'd call 900 my, like, I'm skimming my email inbox or maybe reading a message that's not super important speed. Um, but if I'm trying to really absorb content, then I'll probably slow it down a bit. I do fiddle with the speed knob quite a bit, um, but but I probably operate around 900 for a fair chunk of the time of a day. Do you use speech only or do you use Braille when you're coding? Funnily enough, I, I don't use Braille as much when I'm coding as, like, as I would imagine that I would have. Um, I don't know why that is. I think it's just I haven't gotten used to it as much. But I do rely on Braille pretty heavily if I'm in a meeting and I'm trying to read notes uh, or I'm trying to even take notes while I'm in a meeting, I, I will use it. So any time that I have to speak as well as read, I tend to use Braille. Um, so presentations are another example of that. Or, you know, the classic case of, oh, I need to call someone. So I'm, I'm going to write some jot some quick notes down. I'll tend to use Braille for that. Um, I really should use it more for coding. I don't know why I don't. I just haven't gotten into the habit. <laughs> I suppose part of it is that when I'm working at this speech rate, even though I'm a pretty, I'm a very proficient Braille reader, it's still not quite as fast. And so if I'm really trying to skim something, 
you know, it's, it's not quite as fast. Uh, however, I do know that when I do remember to use Braille with speech um, for, for coding, I think the times I find it most useful are when I want to jump to, you know, the middle of a line. So it's not so much reading the code, but it's like, oh, I need to tweak that bracket there or I need to add a parameter or function here. Uh, using Braille is nice because you can just snap the cursor to where you want it to be rather than having to control right arrow 26 times to get to the section that you want to get to. Well, great, Jamie. It was great having this conversation. It sounds like this work will be going on forever as browsers and how people use the web continue to change. So keep up the good work. Thank you. Yeah, I think there's definitely a world of work to do for everyone. Uh, but ultimately, it's all about you know, making the experience better for users. And, you know, I think it's really easy to uh, forget that people with disabilities want a delightful, fast experience too, that, you know, all the browsers for a few years now have been focusing on how do we make this perform better for users? How do we make it snappy? How do we make the graphics faster and look smoother? And I, I want the same experience for people with disabilities. I don't want them to feel like, oh, I loaded this page and it it took three seconds to load. Like, why should they have to wait that time if other users don't? And so I'm really trying to focus on that delightful experience for a person with a disability and, and the rest of my team very much, um, very much as well. Well, on behalf of everybody who is making use of all of your advances, thank you. Thank you. Show me the answers, set my soul free. It's wearing me down, this torturing limbo. And that was Jamie playing another piece of his called Limbo. And now for this week's final item, how to learn more about the Firefox browser, how to get it, and how to contact Jamie Tay, who is responsible for many of the improvements that it exhibits. Well, Jamie, if people who haven't been using Firefox would like to try it out and see how some of these accessibility enhancements work, where would they go to get it? You can go to getfirefox.com. That's probably the, the quickest way and the easiest way to remember to go and download Firefox. Yeah, give it, download it, give it a try. And as I say, by the, by the time uh, you are listening to this, hopefully this new performance uh, development will be, will be available for everyone. If people had a question for you, how would they reach you? Uh, probably the easiest way is uh, email. You could drop me an email at jtay, J-T-E-H, at mozilla.com. And Mozilla is spelled M-O-Z-I-L-L-A. Are there any other manuals or reference material that you'd recommend people read if they wanted to know more about Firefox and how to use it? Um, I think there's not a huge amount that I, that I would recommend reading. Uh, maybe the one thing would be the, there is an article about keyboard shortcuts, uh, which it provides information. I mean, a lot of the keyboard shortcuts are, are pretty straightforward, but there are some, some useful ones that might be lesser known. Um, I, I'm just thinking I might provide a link to that in show notes if I can, just because I don't think it's a really quick URL. That would be perfect. We will certainly include that in the show notes. Awesome. I'll shoot you a link to that. And as usual, in case you missed any of that in the audio, you can always find it in the show notes associated with this episode, which is show 2320 at www.eyesonsuccess.net. 
That's it for today's show. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about the all-terrain cane from a werewolf gear. The all-terrain cane is a sturdy folding cane designed for blind hikers. It is made of lightweight titanium and has an adjustable length and is suitable for a variety of terrains, as its name indicates. We will speak with Sedona Dave, founder of A Werewolf Gear, about how he came up with the idea and the benefits of using the all-terrain cane for hiking and other activities. And we'll be sharing our experiences working with the cane with Sedona Dave himself. So tune in for that episode next week. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.